0: Welcome to Paranormal Almanac 2023 With your host Kurt Sandvik Kurt Sandvig. Wait, what's going on? I can't hear myself in my speakers. Testing, testing. Better. Not perfect, though. Off to a great start, Kurt. Let's turn it up. Hello. There we go. That's better. All right. Take two. I'm not even going to cut it out. Why would I cut that out? That's right. I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig. And on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, the first of 2023, let's talk about treasures. Why? It's not really Paranormal. I don't care. I'm just trying to make us rich in 2023. Just go with it, people. But first, as always, we have shout-outs. That's right. We have shout-outs going out to the patrons. Shout-out to the 2023 patrons of Anne, Stephen Cher, Jane Ann, Jennifer, Heather G, Zuzus, What's It, Paula, Cassidy Bishop, Hey, Howdy, Hi, Rick, Nico, Cher, in the Mouse. Hey, Howdy, Hi, Thank You for the Card, Paul, Mark, Tortuga, Mike from Jersey, Jay Bizzle, Andy, Tracy, Virginia, Tony, Jason, Vicky Crow, Clay, Buzz, Love, works. Glacier, Main. Isabel, Jen, Jen, Stacy. Amber, Stan- Sandy. It's Sandy, not Standy. Sandy, Kelly, Joe, Menace, the Beast, Kickass. Magic, Robot, Webcomics, Sandy. Paige, Kyle, Sean, Andrew, Scott, Andrea, Melody, Vicky, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Alicia, Becca, Jake, and the Beasties, Hey, Howdy, Hi, how? Elizabeth, Voitech. Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim. Once again, congrats. Kenneth, Ricardo, Ian, Alexander, George, Seth, Zozo, the Demon. Cindy, Ashley, Carrie, Robin, Will. Lauren Mangano, Russell, April, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, Stacy, Jerry, Lindsay, Han, hey, howdy, hi, and happy holidays, Megan, Jeff, T, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, the Lawrence Strawn, hey, howdy, hi, Veronica, Autumn, J. Mark, Manning, Carolyn, Martin, Jade, Nanashi, Chuck, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Dan, Laura Pitts, and GamerFan. With again, as always, no matter what the year, two special shout outs to Joe Teague, and a stitch. And we got rum sitting on my lap. So a special shout out to rum. That's right. Special shout out to you. You're a good girl. I've got my cocoa uh next to me because it's cold and rainy out. So you guys can figure out what day I recorded this on because it's cold and rainy out. But I've got my cocoa. I've got my coat on. I got my rum in my lap now. I am ready to do some paranormal news. But first, rum's in my way. I can't push the button. <laughs> you got to let me, you got you to, there's a the thing I got to deal with. I say paranormal news and then I got to push the button. So, So let's try that again. Paranormal news. See, I said it's time for paranormal news, and then I pushed the button, and then that thing just said it's time for paranormal news. So it's got to be true. All right, the first story in paranormal news. A Canadian man captured footage of an enormous figure standing atop a mountain and then claimed that the strange sighting caused him to be targeted by the CIA. It's a weird, it's a weird one. All righty, so... It's a YouTube one from a guy named um, Andrew Dawson. He said that he and his friend were driving to work in the province of Alberta, so Canada. Love the Canadians, eh? Their normally routine commute took a strange turn when he noticed something unusual on the massive Mountain Whistler's Peak. He said, it's a person, dude. So, let's see. Footage was later posted to TikTok. Hold on, I need to take another sip of hot cocoa. If you got a hot cocoa, I, t- I say now's the time. It's, it's hot cocoa sip time. Alrighty, so I just want to kind of watch this one Because I haven't had a chance to watch it As you know, I wait until the episode to watch them Even though I really want to watch it right away It's a mountain And a guy that says, or a thing that says It's Is a it, giant It's a person, dude I mean, it no, does No, seriously, pull over, pull over It does look like a person, a big tall person On the top <gasps> of a mountain And it's on the very, a very person top person standing there No, it's not Dude, have you seen what I've seen right now? <laughs> it's very Christmassy. Do you see what I see? A Bigfoot, a Bigfoot standing on a mountain. Whatever that thing was up Whoa, there, Jesus it Christ. was massive. If that was a human being, I don't think you would even be able to see a person stood Jeez, up there. It would literally be a speck in the distance. A ton- All right, you need to calm down, dude. All righty, so, yeah, it kind of looks like a dude in the distance. You don't need to hear from that uh, That very UK kind of guy. Whatever it is, I couldn't tell you, but blimey, he seemed fucking big, I tell you. Let's see. Dawson continued to investigate the sighting, began to grow increasingly suspicious that he had inadvertently stumbled upon something he wasn't supposed to have seen. In a subsequent video, which I don't know where it is, he tried to visit the mountain again and was brusquely turned away by what appeared to be some sort of authority figure. Bullshit, you're driving down a major highway. You were not turned away by some authority figure. The young man then stated that he was being followed by the CIA. All right, I'm all right, I'm liking this guy less and less. I'm believing it less and less. Um, Then there's supposedly a video of Dawson where doing an update where he declared that all of his videos had been a hoax and was strictly for entertainment while nervously looking off camera. If someone was in the room watching him, you know, you know what, fuck this guy. I was going to try and find his TikTok and find out more about it, but... No, I mean, it does look like a dude standing on the top of the mountain, but just go with that. Why you got to add? Look, this is what people always do. They always try to add to the paranormal, and when they do, it just messes it up. Hold on, Rum. Hold on. All right, I will. Sorry, I've got to put a dog on my lap. I don't know, Kurt, you can cut this out if you want, but it should only take 30 seconds or so, so maybe leave it in and let people know that the anarchy that happens while you're trying to do a podcast. All right, here you go. Now you can come up on my lap. There we go. All right. We good? You good? All right. I think we're good. You're good? All right. So I don't understand why people have to add stuff to it, make it even more spooky and scary when there's actual spooky and scary stuff in there. Like, just post that video. That's cool. Looks like some dude standing on top of the mountain. You don't need to go into the whole tiktok kind of crap. Speaking of TikTok-y kind of crap, yes, I'm, I've got a TikTok. Yes, starting this week. I will, uh, I will be posting stuff to that TikTok, little paranormal mini-sodes, if you will. So it's Paranormal Almanac on TikTok. Find me if you like. If you want to TikTok along with me, I got to figure out how to do it. But still, it's happening. I'm, I'm putting it out into the universe that is happening. All righty, up next in paranormal news, something that just sounds freaking fantastic, especially right now. I'm kind of hungry. There are Sasquatch-themed donut shops that opened up in Colorado. That is awesome. This one was also sent to me as well, Um, even though I'd already added it because I was like, oh, my God, Bigfoot and donuts? Oh, you know I'm adding that to the next one, but someone posted as well, which I love. But they say find Sasquatch in Estes Park. They're called Squatchy Donuts. Um, Let's see. Jack and Jill Skinner not only chose Colorado as their home for retirement, but they brought with them a great deal of knowledge about the alleged creature that they consider a local neighbor. The new donut and coffee shop in town, Squatchy Donuts. Uh, let's see, where is it located? 430 West Elkhorn, or Elcom? No, Elkhorn yeah, Avenue in West Park Center. Squatchy Donuts opens sat, opened Saturday, December 17th. Hours are 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., seven days a week. Let's see. They, uh, well, it's it's got some cool stuff. It has some, oh, it's got some um, casts of Sasquatch prints. That's cool. And other Sasquatchy kind of stuff. Boy, this place is getting cooler and cooler. But it's got donuts. That's the big thing to take away about it. You know, don't fucking shoot Bigfoot, but definitely eat some Bigfoot donuts is what I'm saying. All right. That was a quick one. So up next in paranormal news, let's continue the Sasquatch stuff. A Western New York resident claims that Sasquatch lives among them. Let's see. According to a report from Terry Belk of WGRZ, dozens of Chautauqua County residents have claimed to have seen sas- Sasquatch in the county's forests. Peter Weimer, a sponsor for the annual Chautauqua Lake Bigfoot Expo, told WGRZ, "They are from all kinds of walks of life. There's 45 eyewitnesses that have reached out to me, and there's a hundred more, hundred or more in Chautauqua County that aren't talking to me. Well, then how do you know? How do you know that there's a hundred or more?" ...that aren't talking to you. There could be thousands or more not talking to you. Uh, so is Bigfoot hiding out in the New York forest? Shockingly, like most I saw Bigfoot claims, there's still no proof. Well, I mean, there's eyewitness sightings. I would say that's a kind of proof. Let's see. Those in western New York residents will surely uh, keep trying to find it, and you can't really help but admire the dedication of some that are proving the existence of a creature that people have been unsuccessfully searching for for decades. Well, again, calm down there, writer. This is from WNBF, which is apparently like W not Bigfoot because they don't like anything about Bigfoot. But, uh, yeah, so there you go. If you're near, in or around Chautauqua County, I'm thinking that's a good place to be for Bigfoot. But I want to know more about this Chautauqua Lake Bigfoot Expo. Oh, apparently I've liked it. Apparently I've talked about this place before then. Because I've already liked Chautauqua Lake Bigfoot Expo. So that's cool. Good on them. Alrighty, Up next in paranormal news. Let's keep this train of rolling here. Ooh, this next one is hot off the press. This is a hot off the press paranormal news. I'm talking from eight hours ago. This thing is brand spanking new. Hope maybe it's the first podcast. Uh, I'm the world's first para-influencer. But maybe this is the first podcast to actually talk about this paranormal news. Joe Biden signs off on UFO investigation. It's not the one you think of. It's not Roswell, but it's a crash of a supposed UFO in America in 1945. That's right. A military spending bill signed by President Joe Biden has actually been amended to include the 1945 case of, quote, an avocado shaped craft that crashed in San Antonio, Texas. This is cool. See what you want about uh, Biden. I don't care he's actually signing something to investigate ufos that's what i care about all right astronomer jacques Vallée wrote a book about the suspected ufo which is allegedly piloted by four-foot aliens with big bulgy eyes who look like praying mantises based on interviews with three witnesses a b-52 bomber pilot the son of a rancher whose land it crashed on and his friend one of the eyewitnesses, Joe or Jose Padilla, now 86, said strange-looking creatures were moving around inside. They moved as, they moved fast, as if they were able to will themselves to one position to an to another in an instant. He also claimed that soldiers took away the 25 by 14 foot craft. Very cool. I'm really happy that look, again, think what you want, but here's a president who's signing something that has to do with an investigation or a reinvestigation of a UFO crash from 1945. I'm I'm going to call that a win. I'm definitely going to call that a win. All righty, up next in paranormal news, it keeps coming. From unidentified objects to a strange light, what pilots reported over Canada in 2022? Let's see, uh, November 12th, cargo flight from Chicago to Frankfurt. Reported seeing lights that were moving eastward at the same speed as the aircraft while flying in the dark over northeastern Ontario. May 28th, local police were notified after multiple reports received by local traffic on an unidentified object, possibly a balloon or radio-controlled RC plane at 3,000 feet. Okay, that one seems to be explained. September 22nd, daytime report of a fly, from a flying club pilot of a red-and-white unidentified object at 2,500 feet. June eighth, report over Lake Superior, in Ontario, when an Air Canada flight from Calgary to Montreal reported a green flashing descending through the through their altitude of forty one thousand feet. The pilot suspected it might be a meteorite. The controller questioned if it might have been lightning or St. Elmo's fire. The, respo- the pilot responded like negative. Uh, where else we got? Uh, KLM Royal Dutch Airlines flight from Mexico City to Amsterdam reported a bright light above their above at their 12 o'clock while flying at night off the southern coast of Nova Scotia on October 3rd. Uh, November 16th, Air Canada flight from Toronto reported a strange light a little over 100 kilometers west of its destination. Then, on November 24th, in the same region, a United Air flight from Washington, D.C. to Zurich, Zurich, Switzerland, reported white lights moving left and right, up and down. Then uh, December 8th, Virginia uh, Virginia Atlantic flight from Las Vegas to London reported seeing two lights at one o'clock moving quickly to the left while traveling at thirty nine thousand feet. After a few minutes, the same thing happened again. The following night over northwestern Ontario, a private jet traveling from Sault Ste. Maria to Winnipeg <clears throat> reported seeing one to three bright lights orbiting above the horizon, lasting for about 10 seconds every 60 seconds. A nearby WestJet flight from Halifax to Calgary also observed the same lights. Air traffic controllers then notified Canadian Air Force officials with NORAD. Um, and they checked it out. Let's see. Transport Canada released another laser interference report. Okay, we know what that one is on December 30th. That's people fucking around with planes with lasers, which is dumb. Don't do it. Mm, let's see. That's, one, right. That's another good one here. A daylight July 3rd civilian sighting in Quebec... March 27th, report from near Vancouver Island of bright phenomena in the sky. That one was relayed to the military officials as well. November 20th in New Brunswick, object with a beam of light was seen moving from south to north, heading towards Fredericton, then breaking up into four objects with similar beams of light, probably a fireball or a meteorite disintegrating in the atmosphere. Uh, that seems about that seems to be the the majority of them, but a the whole lot's coming from Canada, which is always cool. The more sightings, the better. Even if the ones that they can probably figure out, oh, that's a meteorite or that was a laser pointer, sure. But once you filter all those out, what you're left with are real unidentified flying objects. And finally, this one's from yesterday in the where is this? What what's the Manchester Evening News? The village 90 minutes from Greater Manchester. That's a UFO hotspot. A village just 90 minutes from Greater Manchester is unlike any other. Dubbed a UFO hotspot, the unusual area also has an annual tradition of hens running around a course in eagerly anticipated races each year. Okay, I don't care about the hens. Where's the UFO? All right, Bonsall is in fact known for being a UFO hotspot with connections to Hollywood and NASA. A former pub landlord even used to take uh, tourists up on the, to the nearby moors on UFO tours. That's cool. In 2001, housewife Sharon Rowlands reportedly sold footage she had captured of a flying saucer for 20,000 pounds to a Hollywood producer. It's even said that NASA officials asked to examine the tape as they believed it showed a similar type of craft once spotted by the Space Agency's camera during the Columbia Space Shuttle mission in the early 1996 space shuttle. That's cool. In the early 2000s, 19 sightings of UFOs were reported in the area. One reported seeing a ball of fire in the sky, another two big bright lights, and a man out walking his dog witnessed a pink glow vertically shaped like a shoebox. All right, that's an interesting one. And then it goes on to talk about this World Hen Racing Championship, which I don't care about. So with that, I'm going to say that's it for Paranormal News. Let's, uh, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Paranormal Almanac. We are back. Before we get into this edition, um, you can head on over to tpublic.com slash stores slash paranormal dash almanac. If you're looking for all the paranormal almanac merchandise. Then there's a bunch of people that have been talking about the fact that I have not talked about the my P.O. box in a while. So I should talk about that. But now I got to find it because I'm not I did not plan ahead. Here we go. If you would like to send something to me, and I thank everybody that does. They're fantastic. You can send it over to Paranormal Almanac or Kurt Sandvig at 1812 West Burbank Boulevard, number 7102 in Burbank, California, 91506. That address again, 1812 West Burbank Boulevard, number 7102, Burbank, California, 91506. Hi, sweetheart. Just giving out the P.O. box. All right. All right. Okay. With that out of the way, and again, thank you to everybody that has sent me stuff. It is the sweetest thing in the world. I've gotten gifts and cards and letters and birthday gifts and and treats and all kinds of stuff. You name it. Stuff for rum. It's uh, fan-freaking-tastic. I can't thank you enough. But to get back into this one, let's talk about treasure. Why well, cause I want to. Uh, no, because, you know, Fen's treasure has slipped through my grasp yet again, despite some amazing, amazing paramaniacs. I said it on a live episode, but I don't think I've said it on an episode episode. There was a bunch of par- uh, paramaniacs that were awesome. They pulled some mon- uh, money together for me to try and buy a piece of Fen's treasure because they were auctioning it off. So with their money and my money pooled together, I was like, that's it. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get Fen's treasure. even though, I was, you know, struck down by COVID when the actual auction was going through my, you know, NyQuil drunken haze. I was like, I got a bid on this. I got a bid on this. And I was outbid on everything and not by a little bit, but by thousands of dollars in some instances. I mean, it was crazy the amount of money that people were paying for like tiny little bits of gold or gold flakes or a little gold coin. So sadly... I've accepted that for now, until I win the lotto, I won't have any offense treasure. But how about other treasures that are still out there just waiting to be grabbed? I don't have to bid on it. I don't need paramaniacs to help me. Just grab it and take it, and it's ours. So I was like, there's got to be more treasures out there. I know it. And there are a bunch of them. Now, I will say, if you like treasure, I've done a few different episodes about treasure. They're already out there to listen to. After you get done listening to this one, go back and listen to those because there's a couple of treasures that I I know that are just on the cusp of finding. People are like, there's like forums and groups and stuff, and they've been like deciphering the clues and figuring stuff out. And I know, in my heart of heart, I know that they're going to find them very, very soon. So listen to those old episodes. If you're into clues and games and whatnot, I'm telling you, there's treasure out there that is just waiting to be found, and there's nothing cooler than, all right, where was I? Oh, Puzzles and Clues. If you like Puzzles and Clues, you're good at games. You're good at figuring out riddles and stuff like that. There are some treasures out there that are just waiting to be found that I guarantee you it's it's going to happen. It's going to happen this year. I'm positive of it. Okay, once again, Rum had to jump up on my lap. Um. This is the last up and down on this one. But if, you know, you know, you got to sometimes do what you got to do. But what I was talking about, I swear, what I was talking about, there are some treasures that are just waiting to be found, and they're going to be found this year. So listen back to those old episodes after you listen to this one, because that's right. It is time for a smart person to decipher the clues and either get one of those old treasures or one of the treasures on here. Because... There's new treasures, well there's not new treasures, technically the treasures aren't new, it's just a new episode about them, but there are treasures that I need to tell you about, and the first one, again, if you're into clues and figuring out ciphers and stuff like that, this thing is waiting, is waiting to be found. I I know it can be found. It's a bizarre one. It's called the Beal Ciphers. Beal Ciphers is what I'm talking about. Now I'm pretty much going to read you the official story of the Beal Ciphers because it's been pondered by the NSA and code crackers from around the world for a very long time. But they now think they're on their way to solving it. Okay, so what are the Beale Ciphers? The story of the Beale Cipher starts in January of 1820. That's when a stranger by the name of Thomas Tom, oh, oh, Thomas Thomas J. Beale rode into the town of Lynchburg, Virginia, checking himself into the Washington Hotel and the story begins. Here's a bit from the time. Robert Morris, who was the hotel owner, said in person he was about 6 feet in height with jet black eyes and the hair of the same color worn longer than was usual at the time. Worn longer than was the style of the time, I guess is what he was trying to say. His form was symmetrical and gave evidence of an unusual strength and activity, but his good lord, but his distinguishing features was a dark and swarthy complexion as if much exposure to the sun and weather had thoroughly tanned and discolored him. This, however, did not detract from his appearance, and I thought him the handsomest man I had ever seen. Whew! Okay, take it down a notch there, Robert. We get it. You are in love with Thomas J. Beale. And you know what? Good on you. In in the 1820s, for you to be that, like, bold with that kind of thing? Proud of you, man. So, we got Thomas J. Beale. He's got jet black eyes and jet black hair, but longer hair. He was symmetrical. He was six foot three. He had uh, weathered, weathered skin, but he was handsome as shit to uh, good old Robert here. So Beale spent the rest of that winter in Lynchburg and, quote, was extremely popular with everyone, particularly the ladies. What the hell is happening in this town? He never spoke about his background, his family, or the purpose of his visit. Then, at the end of March, he took off, having fucked his way through the entire town, apparently. But, Thomas returns. That's right, two years later. Again, spending the rest of the winter in Lynchburg. Thomas comes back, spends all his time at the Washington Hotel, much to the delight of Robert Morris, I can only assume. And then, just like before, boom, he takes off in the springtime. But this time... This time, he leaves something behind. That's right. He entrusted Robert Morris. You remember him, the hotel owner with the hots for Beale? He entrusts him with a locked iron box, which he said contained, quote, papers of value and importance. Now, Robert expected Beale to return, so he just kept an eye on the box. And then get this. Thomas never returns, sadly enough for the women and Robert of the town. Thomas Beale is never seen again. Cut to... 23 years later, in 1845, Robert Morris said, You know what? Curiosity got the better of him. And he figured, well, Beale's dead, so he cracks open that lockbox. Now inside, he found a note written by Beale in plain English and three sheets full of numbers. That's right, we've gotten to the Beale ciphers. The note revealed the truth about Beale, the box and the ciphers. In April 1817, almost three years prior to the first time that Thomas Beale came to town, came to Lynchburg, Thomas Beale and 29 others, quote, embarked on a journey across America. After traveling through, quote, rich hunting grounds on the Western Plains, they arrive in Santa Fe, New Mexico, then headed north in search of buffalo. Now, according to that Beale note, the party encamped in a small ravine while preparing, we were preparing their evening meal when one of the men discovered in a cleft of rocks something that had the appearance of gold. Upon showing it to the others, it was pronounced to be gold, and much excitement was the natural consequence. So Beale and his men mined the site and they mined it for 18 months. That's right, 18 months worth of gold. They accumulated a large quantity of gold as well as silver. They agreed that their newfound wealth should be moved to a secure place and decided to take it back home to Virginia, where they would hide it in a secret location. But to reduce the weight of the gold, Thomas Beale traded some of the gold and the silver for jewels, and in 1820, he traveled to Lynchburg, found a suitable location there, and buried the treasure. Hence the treasure hunt. All righty. When Beale left at the end of the winter, he rejoined his men who had continued to work the mine while he was off fucking everybody in Lynchburg. And after another 18 months, he revisits Lynchburg and buried even more treasure. Two treasures, all in Lynchburg. This time, the men wanted their families taken care of if anything happened to them, because, you know, rough times, 1800s, all that stuff. So Beale said he knew a very reliable person. Oh, that's cute. He's talking about Robert Morris and said that they would be given instructions. Now, good old horny for Beale, Robert Morris was the man, but no one counted on him being patient as all fuck and not opening it for 23 years. Listen, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be straight with you right now. If you hand me a box, like a strange metal box, and you say, Kurt, this is very important. This is really, really important. There's documents and stuff in this box. And then you leave. By the time you get to your car, chances are I'm going to open the box. I'm just letting you know right now. I'm going to look in the box. But not, uh, not old Robert, man. He just sat there. So he didn't open it for like 23 years. But Robert reads this part and says, huh, you know what? I've got to get the treasure. Not for me, though. I've got to get the treasure for the men's family. And he started working on the cipher. This guy's dedicated. All right. So Beal's note said that the key required to decipher the sheets would be posted by Beal to a third party. Posted to Beal, sorry, by a third party. But it never showed up as far as we know. So Morris was forced to unscramble the three sheets by himself. Something that he worked on, sadly, in vain for the next 20 years. See, here's what I'm talking about, dude. If you would have opened that up 3 years later, not 23 years later, that would have gave you an extra 20 years to work on the cipher, but no, you got to be good old Mr. Patient. I'm just going to leave this box that some horny, hot-looking stranger dude left me. Dude, you wasted your time. But, we got to cut to eighteen sixty two, at the age of eighty four, Robert Morris knew that he was too old to continue and realized that he had to share his secret of the Beale ciphers, or it could just like disappear. Like it, he dies, no one ever thinks about it, and they throw it out. So he tells a friend, but who that friend is is actually lost to history. Only two things are known about Morris's friend. First, he publish he publishes a pamphlet which contains the entire Beale story, including the Beale ciphers and Morris's account of the events surrounding the mystery. Second, this friend made the first breakthrough in deciphering one of the Beale ciphers. That's right. This guy, this friend, figured something out. He deciphered a cipher. All right, what that is is the second Beale cipher. The second one, like the other two, contains about 800 numbers, beginning with the sequence 115, 73, 24, 807, 37, and he just keeps going like that. So this mystery dude, mystery man, let's call him that. He guesses that each number corresponded to a word in the Declaration of Independence. Like the first word in the sequence is 115. The 115th letter, of the, declaration, or 115th word in the declaration is instituted, which begins with the letter I. Hence, the first number 115 represents the letter I. The second number in the sequence is 73. The 73rd word in the Declaration is hold, which begins with the letter H. Hence, the second number, 73, represents the letter H. If you've made it this far into the episode, you know what you have to do. You have to steal the Declaration of Independence. Someone get Nicolas Cage. Let's do this thing. Okay, here's the thing. Well, here's some stuff that I hope you understand. I'll put it that way. This should sound vaguely familiar to you, most of you maybe. It's the opening of the Declaration of Independence. While I'm reading it, count each word. The first word is one. The second word is two. So on. That's right. There's counting involved. There's math in this edition. When, that's one. In, that's two. The, that's three. Course, that's four. I'm not going to do the numbering anymore. Of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect of the opinion. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you get, you get what I'm saying, right? You, you, the letters, each 115th, all right, so that begins with an I, so that's the first letter. Using this. Mystery Man revealed the following message from Beale. Horribly misspelled, I might add, but it's a hard freaking cipher, especially in 1820, so I'll give Beale a a break. People have deciphered it this way, correcting the misspelling. I have deposited in the county of Bedford, about four miles from Buford's, in an excavation or vault six feet below the surface of the ground, the following articles. The deposit consists of 2,921 pounds of gold and 5,100 pounds of silver. Also jewels obtained in St. Louis in exchange for silver to save transportation. The above is securely packed in iron pots with iron covers. The vault is roughly lined with stone, and the vessels rest on solid stone and are covered with others. Cool, right? Fun fact, it's valued at around $60 million in 2021 never been found. Here's the problem. Unfortunately, using the Declaration of Independence as a key failed to unlock the other two Beale ciphers. Hmm. Here's my plan. What if we tried the script to National Treasure, the movie? I know it's a long shot, but you know what? The dude had black eyes and longer hair. He's some kind of time traveler or alien or, or something. So, I say we try it anyway. Maybe it's Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage went back in time and did this. That would be a cool National Treasure Part 3. All right, so Mystery Man couldn't figure out any other part. So in 1885, he publishes everything that he knew, but he chooses to remain anonymous so he wouldn't be, you know, bugged by treasure hunters. Shit gets worse, though, because a warehouse fire destroyed most of the original pamphlets. But... Word got out, and everyone who fancied themselves like a treasure hunter got interested in the ciphers, including a bunch of men I've never heard of, like the Hart brothers started to investigate it. George and Clayton, you know, the Hart brothers. I have no idea who these are, but they tried to decipher it for decades. Clayton Hart gave up in 1912, wuss, and George gave up in 1952. Come on, George, stick with it. Now, another treasure hunter named Hiram Herbert Jr., Became interested in 1923 and continued to try to decipher it through the 1970s. These people had a lot of time on their hands. Then, professional crypto analysts also tried, like you you guessed it. You know the name I'm going to say. That's right. It's Herbert O. Yardley. That's right. The Herbert O. Yardley. I, I don't know who he is. Apparently, he founded the U.S. Cypher Bureau, known as the American Black Chamber at the end of World War One, then, then came Colonel William Friedman, who, again, I why the people that wrote these things that I got all this information from right? like the like I should be like oh wow then Colonel William Friedman got involved oh shit just got real. He's the dominant figure in American code breaking during the first half of the 20th century. Now while he was in charge of the Signal Intelligence Service. He made the Beale ciphers part of the training program because he believed the ciphers to be, quote, of diabolical ingenuity, specifically designed to lure the unwary reader. The Friedman Archive, established after his death in 1969 at the George C. Marshall Research Center, is frequently consulted by military historians, but by far the largest number of visitors are eager Beale devotees. So you can go to the Friedman Archive, named after that dude, Colonel William Friedman, because there's a bunch of shit about the Beale ciphers there. More recently, one of the leading figures has been Carl Hammer. That's just a great name right there. He's the retired director of computer science at Sperry Univac and one of the pioneers of computerized code breaking. According to Hammer, the Beale ciphers have occupied, quote, at least 10% of the best analytic minds in the country, and not a dime of this effort should be begrudged. The work, even the lines that have led into blind alleys, has more than paid for itself in advancing and refining computer research. That's kind of cool, actually. So, because of the Beale ciphers and people trying to use computers to decipher it, it's actually advancing and refining computer research itself. I'm excited about these Beale ciphers. Like I said, this sounds like a like a like a Dan Brown novel or a National Treasure movie, but it's real. Hold on a second. I need more hot chocolate. I'm so excited. Okay. So the keys to cipher number one, it's detailing the exact location, and cipher number three, detailing the heirs, have yet to be deciphered, discovered, whatever you want to call it. Now, analysts have tried everything from the United States Constitution to the Lord's Prayer to old local newspapers – they think, and so do I, that the it has to be something that was available at the time that they can then use to use as a decipher code, a cipher code, whatever. You, you know what I'm trying to say. Now, the only clue left behind is a reference to the treasure being about four miles away from what at the time was Buford's Tavern. Now, you have to figure, Kurt here, this is just me. If he used something that was readily available, like the Declaration of Independence, and they tried the United States Constitution, the Lord's Prayer to the local newspapers, I thought was the smartest one. Something else that was available at the time had to have been used. It couldn't have been the letter to Beale that just never arrived or got lost somewhere. I mean, it could, but that would really, that would really suck. So you just have to go through all of the options, and hopefully one will line up more or less, and you have the cipher to the treasure. Or there are a lot of people that use, like, substitutions. Like, they figure, you know, the letter A is used the most out of all the vowels. This is just, you know, like, I'm just talking shit here. But there, there are people that can decipher stuff immediately. There's a friend of a friend of mine that actually deciphers everything immediately. There's a code in a movie trailer. He's got it decoded within an hour. Like 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 the Riddler stuff or like that M night Shyamalan Beach movie. Like he decoded that stuff instantly, use just using the basics. Well, the letter A is used the most, and then he, many vowels, to consider this number an A and blah, blah, blah. I have a feeling that it's just it's waiting for someone like that with a lot of time on their hands to look over the Beale ciphers. Now, here's the question, though, and I don't know this. Maybe I should look this up real quick. I'm going to actually look up what the Beale ciphers look like. Are there spaces between the numbers, or is it just all number? Oh, there are. It's called the locality of the vault. It says 71, 90. Oh, no, there's not. Shit. No, it wouldn't work that, that way then. You'd actually need, like, the Declaration of Independence to actually do it because it's just letters. There's no spaces for the words, nothing that you can kind of figure out. Hmm. All right, but still, somebody must have a guess as to what something very common around that time would be very common that he could have used to decipher it, to, you know, like a book, a play, something that would be, accessible for the long haul because he used the Declaration of Independence, which, again, is very accessible. It's already bothering me. All right, so the pamphlet says, the Beale Papers containing authentic statements regarding regarding the treasure buried in 1819 and 1821 near Buford's in Bedford County, Virginia, and which has never been recovered. The price for one of those original pamphlets... Fifty cents, then marked down to twenty-five cents. That is cool. Sixty million dollars, just waiting to be, you know, waiting to be found. Now let me throw in skeptics' time. I'm only going to throw this in because I don't want some skeptic to be like, "Well, what about this?" I don't, I don't buy it. But some people think that the whole thing is made up, and one of the reasons they think that is the Beale's letter enclosed in the box with the ciphers was supposedly written in 1822, but it contains the word stampede, which was not seen in print until 1844. That's their thing about, so it's got to be fake. Well, here's the deal. People in the Wild West were thought to have used the word stampede as slang around 1820s, so I'm going to say that's totally fine. Now, there's other people that think that it's just a... like, it, it's just a whim. Like, Mark Twain wrote it. I mean, there's all these people like, oh, this guy, Einstein wrote it. Like, all these people like, oh, this guy must have wrote, not Einstein, but, you know what I mean, like, people from the 1800s like, oh, this guy must have wrote it just as a, as a liter, you know, like a fake tale that, to, you know, grab people's attention. But all of those have been debunked as well. Peter Weimeister, who's a local historian, he searched for evidence to prove that Thomas Beale even existed, and using the census of 1790 and other documents, he identified... A few Thomas Beals, who were born in Virginia, whose background fit the few known facts. And most of the details we have about Beal concern his trip to Santa Fe. And again, there is evidence to corroborate his discovery of gold. For example, Jacob Fowler, who explored the American Southwest in 1821 and 1822, noted in his journal that Pawnee and Crow tribes speak on the most friendly terms of the white men and say they're about 35 in number. Guess what? 35 is the amount of the size or whatever of Beale's party, the amount of men in Beale's party. So there's a bunch of white men getting along fine with those tribes in that area. And there's a Cheyenne legend dating from about 1820, which tells of gold and silver being taken from the West and buried in eastern mountains. All right. At this point, if you're like me, you really want to crack the cipher. Well, remember Mystery Man? Here's what he wrote on those pamphlets. On the pamphlets, he wrote, Before giving the papers to the public, I would give them a little advice, acquired by bitter experience. It is to devote only such time as can be separate and, oh, it is to be devoted. It is to devote. Kurt, come on, you got this, man. It is to devote only such time as can be spared from your legitimate business to the task. And if you can spare no time, let the matter alone. Never, as I have done, sacrifice your own and your family's interest to what may prove an illusion. But as I've already said, when your day's work is done and you are comfortably seated by a good fire, a short time devoted to the subject can injure no one. and may bring its reward. So basically, look, go into this open-eyed. There's some people that have lost, devoted, their eh, lost their entire lives to trying to find this treasure. And nothing. It's, it's kind of like Oak Island in that in that respect. You know, for centuries, people have devoted their entire lives to finding the treasure of Oak Island. Which I do believe is there. Which I do believe will be found very soon. But... If you devote your entire life to a search for something and you never find it, is that a life wasted or is it just like, well, that's how it goes sometimes. Not everybody that hunts for treasure finds treasure, but it's a still, it's a good warning. So I don't want you guys to devote your entire life, just like all your free time. Like, you know, still do your work so you can pay your bills. But after that, and obviously listen to this podcast, but after that, Devote all your free time to try and finding the Beale ciphers, but I'm not done with this thing yet. This whole episode could just be about the Beale ciphers. Maybe it will. I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it should. Maybe I'll do a part one and part two. Ooh, cliffhanger. Maybe I'll, I'll see how I feel when I get to that point. Now there are even papers on the, on the Beale ciphers with the NSA, because again, Code crackers are convinced that one day the ciphers will be decoded, whether it's by man or by AI. And you can actually go to it. You can go to NSA.gov, look for the Beal Papers, Declassification, Transparency, Initiatives, Historical Releases, The Beal Papers. And there is shit tons of research in there. A ciphers the key to the treasure in the hills. That's right. They have newspaper articles about the Beale ciphers through the years. Beal, the Beal Papers. Has the treasure code been solved? Historical and analytical studies in relation to the Beal ciphers from 1970. Then in 1972. Membership applications. More information on unsolved ciphers. The research library. The secret code to Virginia's $2 million uh, Blue Ridge Bonanza. Signature simulation and certain cryptographic codes. There's two full pages On the NSA website, well, not full pages, page and a half about the Beale Papers. Uh, I'm going to click on one. I'll just click on the one called the Beale Papers. It says document ID six five six seven seven nine Carl W Nelson Jr. Arlington Virginia released by the NSA in two thousand one because of the Freedom of Information Act. That's right. They actually have stuff about the Beale ciphers that's still classified called The Beale Papers, presenting details of an alleged burial of gold, silver, and jewels near Goose Creek, Bedford County, Virginia, by Thomas Jefferson Beale and associates in November of 1819 and December of 1821. It's part of the Roanoke Public Library. As of present date, January 1, 1952, the writer will make effort to put in writing all that he knows or surmises about the above subject, study, and work upon which he spent many hours a total of many months, extending over a period from 1898 to to two, more or less in collaboration with his brother, the late Clay I. Hart. Oh, it says, guys, I talked about. And it goes through their entire research. So you've got research at your fingerprints that people have tried, so you don't have to retry it, Um, what they've done, how they did it. It's actually really in-depth. Holy crap, this thing's still going. How many pages is this thing? I'm at 21 pages and counting. 30 pages and counting. I'm just keep going. This seems fun. Ooh, here's some ciphers. Um, I'm on page 35, and the ciphers have begun. The three ciphers are given below. The one marked number one, describing the exact location, locality of the vault where the treasure is buried. The one marked number two, stating the contents of the vault. And the paper marked number three, stating the names and addresses of the persons involved. And some of the stuff they used to try and do it. I'm already at page 40 and counting. Here's where they use the Declaration of Independence, and they go through that. They actually skip the part. Oh, interesting. They actually skip the part at the very top of the Declaration of Independence. In Congress, July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Representatives by the United States of America. In general, Congress assembled. None of that was used. It's just that first word. That's when they started doing it. They go through the entire Declaration of Independence. Holy crap. I mean, it is detailed. I'm at 55 pages and counting. 60 pages. 65 pages. Oh, 68 pages. So it's a full total 68 pages of these guys' work and everything that they tried. In conclusion, not being present at a later seance, when Clayton attempted to get from the subject what had happened to Beale and his 29 associates, I can only state in a few words what Clayton told me about it. That, when gazing into the same crystal ball, he asked the subject to follow the party of 10 West after their second trip to the States and have them join the 20 left behind to continue searching for gold and silver and keep it the entire party until either they returned to their homes or were no more. The subject, in a most realistic but shocked manner, detailed their being set upon by Indians as well as, as they were preparing to leave their operations when all were killed and scalped. And thus endeth a weird and almost unbelievable story. And that's how it ends. It's crazy. It's cool. Um, I'd like to read more of it. In fact, I might see if I can, you know, throw that up on a Kindle or a tablet and read that, make, make that my, like, nighttime reading before bed. But it's just one. I'm just reading one of the things from the NSA's website. Now, here's some stuff straight from the wiki as well because there's a lot of good information on the wiki about the ciphers as well. They talk about the misspellings at a lot of stuff, and the reasons why that happened is because there were more than one Declaration of Independence kind of thrown out there, like, you know, published. People would flourish it or add a word or or forget a word, and that would cause the the, um, the poor spelling. And it's literally just because what Declaration of Independence or where you got it, did you get it in the newspaper, um, the authenticity about it. Uh, cryptographers acclaim that two remaining ciphertexts have statistical characteristics which suggest they are not actually encryptions of an English plain text. Interesting. So it might not even be in English. This was done by Carl Hammer. Um, Others have questioned why Beale would have bothered writing three different cipher texts. Well, I think that's that's pretty common. I think that's known because he wanted... No, that seems obvious to me because he wants people to kind of know what it is, but they have to figure it out what they are. No, that seems that makes sense to me. There's letters that contain several English words, such as "improvise," otherwise not otherwise recorded until the 1820s, but used from French in 1786 in the New Orleans area. So that leads them to think that it might not be all three need to be English documents. So there's a clue for you guys start using French documents that were known in the 1820s, the early 1820s. A, they suggest that a deliberate ploy to encourage interest in deciphering the other two texts might consider it a hoax, but I don't see that at all. The third cipher appears to be too short to list 30 individual names of kin. Interesting. Robert Morris, a as represented in the pamphlet, said he was running the Washington Hotel in 1820, yet... Contemporary records show he did not start in that position until at least 1823. Well, that's just faulty records. I'm I'm fine with that. Some people think it has something to do with Edgar Allan Poe. That's been kind of debunked. The existence of Thomas Beale has been confirmed. More about Edgar Allan Poe maybe authoring it because he loved cryptography, but again, it's been debunked. Um... Another method to check the validity of the ciphers is to investigate some statistical as aspects in different number bases. For example, one can investigate the frequency of the last digit in each number of the ciphers. Those frequencies are not uniformly distributed. Some digits are more common than others, and this is true for all three ciphers. This is what I was talking about earlier with that guy, that, that friend of a friend, that he can you know, say, well, A is used the most, so... Chances are these are all A. This this number is A. So boom, 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 boom. Then he fills in the A's. Then he works on, you know, like, I don't know, RSTNL, the, you know, (laughs) Wheel of Fortune rules. I don't know how he does it. He's smarter than me. But my point is that people are saying that using, like, basic crypto ciphering, we can figure stuff out. But with AI, I have to imagine that we can just plug it in, like give all the numbers to a computer and then go, here, make some words of this. And just have it running for a few weeks, and then go up, come back, and oh look, there we go! I got it. I have all the money now. Um, let's see. The story has been subject to multiple television vision documentaries, such as the UK's mystery series, a segment in the seventh special of Unsolved Mysteries, and the 2011 Declaration of Independence episode of the History Channel TV show, Brad Meltzer's Decoded. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this, this right here. If you just, if, if for nothing else. This will give you an amazing screenplay if you're, you know, again, smart enough to write a screenplay or book or novel or whatever you want to say. But here you have it. I'm only one treasure in, and I'm already an hour. So you know what? I don't know. What What are you guys doing? What, what? Stop listening to this. No, don't stop listening. You can continue to listen to this. It's a podcast. You put, it, put your headphones in and go listen to it. But go find the Beale treasure. Just give me some, please, so I don't have to, you know, kind of bid on it. You know what, I think that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make this a part one of treasures. Part two will be out next week. So if you like treasures like I do. Oh, and um, how's this uh paranormal? Um, I don't know. Oh, that thing I read at the in from the NSA thing about when they were using like crystal balls. There you go. Boom. Paranormal. Uh they're talking to ghosts. There you go. So now it's paranormal. It 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 matches. It's my fucking podcast. I want to do it about it. I think the Beale ciphers is a very, very cool treasure. So, if you like this one, trust me when I say that part two has an even more bizarre treasure just waiting to be found. Maybe two. Maybe I don't know how long that. If I split it up, I don't know how the sec how long the second one will be. So maybe I'll have even more than one treasure for the second for part two. But more importantly, if you're a patron, uh, guess what? I'm going to continue talking. Well, let me, let me end this one real quick. Um, so if you're a patron, what I'm, what I was going to say is if you're a patron, I'm going to continue talking in just a minute. the only way you can hear this next part about more treasures is if you're a patron, because that's right. A patron episode is going to be recorded in mere seconds from now. Let me, uh, let me sign off this one first and then I'll do that. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandig. I hope you guys like this one because I love treasures. I think it's so cool that you can go out there to this day and find a treasure from the 1800s. It's waiting to be found if you're smart enough to do it. Figure out the cipher. Figure out if you're good at computers. Use it. Use a computer to figure out this cipher and go get yourself the Beale treasure. come see me.